Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, I spoke to Trey Griggs of Lean Solutions Group. It was a really fascinating episode. We talked all about what Lean Solutions does, how their model works, the amazing services they offer from Columbia, and the benefits to be found in broadening your reach through nearshore staffing services. I really hope you enjoyed it because it certainly gave me some food for thought. But if you missed it, don't worry. You can catch up over on our website, letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast. And it was episode 183. And remember, we've got that category filter. So if you are looking for a specific innovation or solution, use that category filter and check out the other episodes within that category that you're looking for some help on. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. My jobs are costing me more than they should because I don't have access to the best rates. I can't try a new provider right now. I don't have the time. I have so many different Excel spreadsheets. There has to be a better way. I have sent so many emails and still not booked the job. You spoke and we listened. Meet ships. With ships, we're saying no to working with up to five different forwarders to move your goods manually. We're saying goodbye to multiple logins and dated systems of individual emails and Excel spreadsheets. We are saying no more to labor-intensive processes that strain relationships and waste time. Find your perfect partner, get quick and accurate costs, real-time benchmarking figures, and a secure online account all with one click. Sign up for your free trial now. Go to ships, that's S-H-I-P-Z or Z dot com. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. There is a lot going on over here at Let's Talk Supply Chain. We've got some big projects going on. And so I am taking this week to plan and focus on those big projects because we are going to be rolling those out to you in the next couple of months and I cannot wait to share it with you. Today, I'm excited to welcome a woman in supply chain who had the military in her blood from the get-go. From her degree in engineering from the United States Military Academy, she served her country and nurtured an impressive logistics career. Now, Chief of Staff at U.S. Transportation Command, she is one incredible woman. Who is it? Well, I'll reveal it after we talk about the question of the week. So the question of the week is... What are your top tips for networking online? The reason why I brought this forward um, right now is because we asked this question last year, probably around middle of the pandemic last year, and things have changed so dramatically. We thought that we would be in in-person networking events by now, and we're not. And so I wanted to just reach back out to the community and find out what their top tips are. Susan Walsh, have a catchy name and people will remember you. Sam Gupta, refer as many as you can from your network so you get connections back. Uh, Stephanie, she says, I never connect with someone on LinkedIn without sending a reason for the request to connect or adding 
what Patricia taught us on her Thursday night Bulletproof Your Career sessions in spirit of LinkedIn, I would like to connect. Um, Sarah Scudder has some great ones. Do regular social media posts that add value and provide useful information. Tag people in the comment section. Host and attend virtual networking events. Host and moderate rooms on Clubhouse. Be authentic and funny. Reach out to people every week to schedule intro calls. And one thing I added there is to connect people where you can. Sam and Sarah do an amazing job at that. And that can really help keep you connected and really give back to the community as well. Ahmed, good gesture first when asking for connection, engaging with the posts of my connections and looking for areas to collaborate together. Jonathan, here are a few things that I tried to do. Demonstrate humility, be genuine, proactively encourage, ask thought-provoking questions, add tangible value to the conversation. Dan Deegan, help in every way possible without expecting business in return. Shneha, do not underestimate the power of comments here. Posting is great, but comments really help engage and build relationships. Relation relationships. She's talking about LinkedIn. Nick Romer, add value. Be real, be you, be consistent. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Have fun and grow organically. Christina talks about her journey. So over on my personal LinkedIn page where I asked this question, she talks about her journey of losing a job and how she joined some networking groups and reached out to people that she thought might, might be able to help even if she didn't know them. Um, because she talks about how some people don't feel comfortable networking and she's one of them, but she found a way that works for her. Davin, get involved, join the groups and live streams, be active in them, and you will discover and build your tribe. I'll add something to that. When you're attending conferences or webinars, put your link to your LinkedIn profile into the chat so people can search you out and find you. Crystal, be genuine and forming a relationship versus pushing product or service. Thank you to everyone who weighed in on the question of the week. Remember, we ask that question every single Wednesday morning on our Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So now back to today's podcast and a message from our sponsor. As a company focused on supply chain partnerships, Fastenal is proud to sponsor this piece of woman in supply chain. With more than 100,000 point of use vending machines around the world, Fastenal is dedicated to helping organizations lower their total cost of ownership. And so who is the wonderful woman in supply chain I have with me today? Skilled in supply chain, operations management, government, U.S. Department of Defense, strategic planning, and business process improvement, Deborah is an experienced and successful military leader. Today, Deborah will be talking to us about her career in the military, how she balances it with family life, and she'll be sharing her words of wisdom for the upcoming generations of ambitious young women following in her footsteps. So welcome to the show, Deborah. Hey, Sarah. I am thrilled to be here. Thanks for giving me uh, an invitation to join your show. Yes, I am really excited to have you as a part of the Woman in Supply Chain series. I mean, you have a fascinating and incredibly impressive career. So I'm really looking forward to diving deeper into that and having a conversation about it. And, you know, I'm always in awe of women in the armed forces. So I'd love to hear your journey. Why don't you tell us about yourself and what led you to becoming the chief of staff at the U.S. Transportation Command or U.S. Transcom? 
Okay, well, uh, it began uh, a long time ago. My military career, I started as a cadet at the United States Military Academy, and it was almost 35 years ago now. So I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. But uh, I commissioned as a second lieutenant in 1990, and uh, I didn't really have anybody in my family who was in the, the Army or the military. So I didn't have that big influence. I didn't have a burning desire to do that. And so, you know, funny story. Uh, my family was a pretty modest background growing up in New Jersey. My, my parents blue collar and, you know, my dad, who was a wonderful guy, he, he looked at me one day, I remember when I was in about my junior year and he said, you know, Debbie, you're a smart girl and I love you. Good luck. Uh, and so I remember distinctly the next day I went into my high school guidance counselor. So shout out to high school guidance counselors. Right. Yes. And I said, Hey, uh, Mr. Blanky, Henry Blanky was his name. I said, hey, uh, uh, I want to go to school and I don't have a lot of money. What do you think? And he looked at me and he said, you, you need a military academy. And it was the strangest thing, Sarah, because I didn't know what that was. And so, you know, fast forward, I was there. Uh, I got to play soccer on the varsity soccer team. Team handball uh, was a sport I had never played before. It's, as you know, an Olympic sport. I got to play that. I rode crew. Uh, in the summer, we did all kinds of cool things, flying around in helicopters and, uh, you know, jumping from high ropes before high ropes was a thing. And uh, I really found a place where I could thrive. So so I enjoyed it. Uh, and again, I got commissioned. I became a uh, an ordinance officer. So tank automotive maintenance was my specialty as a 22-year-old second lieutenant. Wow. And I ended up going to Germany for my first assignment. Uh, from Germany, I went right to Korea for my second assignment, and, and I was having a, a really great time. And um, I got to uh, about the eight-year mark, and uh, my mother had some medical issues, and she was living on her own. So I made a decision to leave active duty, and, and I moved down to the D.C. area, got a job. And on my way out of active duty, uh, you know, they said, hey, you know, you have to sign this paper to, to resign your commission. And I that was sort of anathema to me. And uh, I said, do I have another option? And said, yeah, you can you go in the Army Reserves. And so I did. And uh, I found out that I could have a, you know, successful civilian career and a, and a completely satisfying and, you know, successful military career as well. So that was great. Um, and for the last 18 years, so I am a mem member of America's Army Reserve. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, my civilian career was with, is with IBM Global Business Services, where I have been a partner. I'm actually on a, a current leave of absence for this two-year tour as the chief of staff at Transcom. But throughout my, uh, you know, military career, everything was was logistics. It was supply chain. And uh, in 2018, uh, as a one-star general, I. Uh, took my command, the 143rd Expeditionary Sustainment Command. We deployed over into theater. And so I spent uh, almost a whole year over there in Kuwait uh, managing the logistics, the sustainment support for the for the forces that were forward wow. deployed, you know, places like Afghanistan and Iraq and, and Syria, and you get the idea. And uh, at the end of that tour, the opportunity to interview and apply for this position here came open, and it really is an exceptional opportunity, exceptional job. And so I, I applied and I got interviewed and I and, and the commander picked me. And, and so it really has been a, a fantastic opportunity uh, to see this at what, you know, is truly the strategic level of uh, logistics in the Department of Defense. Being here at what's called a four-star combatant command 
and uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm enjoying it. I'm having a sensational time. Amazing. I love that story. And thank you so much for sharing that because, you know, a lot of times when we take a look at a career like yours, we think of the longevity and, and what that looks like. And if something happens and we have to pivot, it's kind of like, well, how do I still do what I want to do? And how do I still do what I love? And so I'm really glad that you were able to share that point of your journey in the fact that you didn't have to leave completely and there was other options that you could stay connected and be a part of something that you've wanted to be a part of even when you transitioned into your civilian civilian career. So forgive my ignorance, but before we continue, can you tell me and our listeners who maybe might not be aware, you know, what is US Transportation Command and what does that organization do? Okay. No, I think that's a fair question, and I want to I want to brag about it for a little bit. But um, it is a combatant command. So in the Department of Defense, there are eleven combatant commands, uh, four-star generals who have a mission that they uh, provide, deliver to the Department of Defense and to the nation for national security. So U.S. Transportation Command has five mission sets that uh, are part of the overall unified command plan. And those mission sets, the first one is to serve as the single manager for transportation for the department. Okay. The second one is single manager for global patient movement. And I will just tell you that particularly during this COVID environment, we have been flying into all sorts of places all over the world and uh, you know, air evacuating sick, uh, sick men and women with COVID, right? Wow. So that's a big mission set for us. Uh, the third one is mo uh, mobility joint force provider. And what that basically means when I talk about the joint force, you know, that's Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. And if a unit, an organization, personnel and equipment has to go somewhere, we are the ones who move them. Uh, the joint enabling capabilities provider, and that's a, even a, a little bit different mission set with um, an organization called the Joint Enabling Capabilities Command. They do communications, they do command planning, they establish task forces. Uh, and then <clears throat> the final one is the, uh, the joint deployment and distribution coordinator. And so what, the, what that mission set does is it gives my boss the authorities to uh, allocate the mobility uh, units, assets, resources anywhere in the world uh, in accordance with the, the priorities of the Defense Department. So it's a significant authority. And then Transcom as an organization has about 122,000 assigned forces, men and women who, who deliver those mission sets. They're in uniform, Army, Marine, Navy, Air Force, et cetera, and our civilian uh, uh, teammates. Those assigned forces are broken out into uh, an air component, air mobility command. Those are the forces that uh, uh, do the mobility operations. So think about cargo aircraft, Think about aerial refueling when you see aircraft being refueled in flight, patient air evacuation, as, as I mentioned, some passenger movement, and then they also operate all of the aerial ports that we have throughout the world because Transcom is a, is a command that has a global posture. We're all over the world. We have a Navy component. It's the Military Sealift Command. And so for U.S. Transportation Command, they manage and operate the Surge Sealift Fleet, which are the ships that the government owns that are used to project and deploy military forces and sustainment equipment uh, in times of war. 
uh, the Surface Deployment Distribution Command, that's our Army component, and they do a, a host of things. Uh, but as you can imagine, it's surface movement. So they, uh, they move cargo by trucks, by sea, by rail, and they operate seaports all over the world, huh. believe it or not, uh, as part of our global posture as well. It, it wow. is really uh, a remarkable mission set, the Strategic Mobility Mission. And what we like to say is that nothing happens until it moves and we are the movers. Yeah. And I love that you say that. And I thank you for giving us that breakdown. I mean, just think about it. How many people, how much you're coordinating on a daily basis when it comes to people, when it comes to cargo, like it's just absolutely amazing what you're moving, how you're moving it and how organized you would have to be to make it all work like clockwork, like you do. And so you were, you mentioned that you were trained as a logistics officer. Um, so did you choose logistics or did logistics kind of choose you? Because I don't know about you, but I fell into logistics about 20 something years ago. And so it definitely chose me and, and brought me in. And so I want to know, I want to know from you. I mean, you said you started off at 22, um, you know, in, I believe maintenance, you said. Um, so how did logistics come about? Yeah, so another funny story. Uh, I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to fly helicopters. And I was all set with my flight aptitude skills test and even my flight physical. And my senior year at West Point, believe it or not, I got hit in the eye with a golf ball. <gasps> that is a true story. And so uh, I ended up not being permitted to fly. And I flipped a coin between the Army Signal Corps and ordnance, which is the this tank automotive maintenance. Uh, it also has explosive ordnance. It also does ammunition. I didn't really have a second choice and uh, plan B, as they say. So I had some friends that were trying to kind of coax me in those directions. I flipped a coin and uh, I became an ordnance officer. And I'll tell you, no regrets whatsoever. It's been it's been really really sensational. I love that. Were you playing golf or you weren't playing golf and you just got hit in the eye? I it need was, to know. It, yeah, no, it was a it was a physical education class at West Point. So we were on the plane uh, at West Point. Uh, it's this big, you know, parade field where we march and uh, yeah, it was chipping was the was the task that day and you know, the PE teacher I think thought it was a good idea to put all the cadets in a circle, right? And put the <laughs> pin right in the middle and you're just supposed to do a little chip. And uh, true story, I was on the wrong end of one of my classmates, you know, chips. <laughs> and it can, it can always go wrong in golf. But let me tell you, let me tell you a, a little bit more though. So um, again, I started out 22. I went to Germany. I was a tank automotive maintenance officer in the third infantry division, which is a mechanized division. So think about uh, armored personnel carriers, tanks, tracked vehicles, wheeled vehicles. I had a platoon of 72 men and women who were mechanics. They were repairing wheeled and tracked vehicles. Uh, and then eventually I got promoted to first lieutenant and I ended up running that maintenance shop, which was about 130 men and women and uh, a variety of different work centers that were uh, small armament repair, artillery pieces. It was a body shop, we call it um, service and evacuation. Uh, we repaired, again, all those vehicles. And then we even did some component rebuild, uh, for example, on uh, full-up power packs for, for tanks. And 
at one point in my career, I did what we call material management, which is managing the operational readiness of fleets of equipment. Uh, and that required me to interface with, you know, the depots, which is our wholesale level of logistics uh, in the supply chain and, and really trying to focus on ensuring the highest availability of this, you know, really important equipment for the units. Uh, I've done repair part management at every level, managing warehouses uh, from the retail level, if you will, up to, uh, we call it operational level, but, but up to wholesale where, where there is depot uh, we call it depot uh, warehousing and even depot level rebuild on equipment. Uh, I managed end-to-end -end distribution, as I mentioned, uh, from the operational level when I was in Kuwait. I talked about that, you know, having forces in, in all the other different countries in uh, that central command region. And then again, here at U.S. Transportation Command, this is sort of that capstone, that's, that strategic level is what we say, of mobility operations, which includes the movement of forces, the people, the equipment, and then all the sustainment like fuel and repair parts, food, and, and anything else you can imagine that needs to be moved. And I've done wow. that from Europe to Iraq, Kuwait. I've done it from the comfort of Philadelphia and, and Northern Virginia. So you, you get the idea. Amazing. I love that. And thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being a little bit more candid with your golf story, because I think we all wanted to know, and I'm pretty sure the listeners did as well. So back in November last year, I had Adebayo Adelecki on the show. He served in the U.S. Army for 20 years, and we had a really interesting discussion about some of the similarities and differences when it comes to logistics. I'd love to hear your perspective, right? Because there's a huge difference between logistics in the civilian sector versus, um, you know, what, what you're doing currently or what you have done in your career. And so what is your perspective on that? What does that look like? What are the challenges? How do they differ? Yeah, so certainly there's differences, um, but, you know, for the most part, supply chain operations are, are fundamentally the same. Even, you know, implementing innovative contracting solutions for delivery of products or acquisition of services you know, that's the one thing about U.S. Transportation Command in the very beginning. I, I, I want to just highlight something that not only do we have all of our own organic assets, but we have a, uh, a tight relationship with commercial industry. That's where we get a great deal of additional capacity. As you can imagine, sea lift, uh, vessels, trucks, right? Uh, just tremendous capacity through our commercial partners. But... Um, in commercial terms, the military isn't one single business unit. Believe it or not, each service, you know, the Army, Navy, Air Force, all operate their own chains. And for example, they all operate their own business systems. They all have military units that conduct the different logistics functions, such as their maintenance operations, warehousing, and even their own depots, which are the, you know, the wholesale level, as I mentioned, of, of rebuild for maintenance operations and warehousing. And then even within the services, the business systems that they use for different functions are not fully integrated. And some would still refer to some of their systems as legacy systems, as a matter of fact. And, and there's been a lot of progress towards, uh, you know, implementing more modern solutions over time. So the Navy and the Army, as an example, both have implemented enterprise resource planning solutions but the Air Force has not at this point, right? And of course, as you know, in commercial industry, ERP is, it's kind of table stakes, right? Right, yeah. So um, the services end up having to work very, very hard to optimize their respective supply chains. And I would say that 
that the optimization is at different levels of maturity within the services. And again, it's, it, it is really impacted by a lack of integrated um, business systems. And as you can imagine, the department as a whole works extremely hard to manage their costs because it doesn't have an unlimited budget, but the cost drivers can be different as well um, because we have to achieve a balance between warfighting readiness and efficiencies, right? Yeah. So it, it really can be very different, right? The, the bottom line looks very different. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. Because again, I think, you know, it, it, it really comes to mind when we think about the audience, you know, how does that differ? What does it look like from what we're talking about today? There's many more moving parts um, than you would typically get in one supply chain. And so that in itself creates way more challenges, I think, on the military side than it does in the civilian world. And so I want to change the subject just a little bit because you are a mother and that is hard enough as it is. And so how do you balance family life and motherhood with your professional career and also your military life? Because you have both. It's not just you have one and it's your professional career. You have both. And that is not your typical work-life balance scenario. So tell us a little bit more about that. How are you balancing? What What's your secret? You know, I, I've, uh, I've been asked that question in, in different forums, and I, it's a really hard question for me to answer because I'm not sure that I've done a great job of balancing. And, and what I would certainly say in the early part of my career, when my two daughters were young, between the full-time career at IBM and the Army Reserves and two deployments overseas, uh, my family got the short end, and I can I can say that pretty pretty clearly. So, um, I'm a workaholic, and they know that, and they love me anyway. Thank goodness. And I would say that my my wife is the linchpin, uh, endlessly patient with me, uh, ensuring that I made time to to spend with the family. So, an example, um, as an IBM employee, I would work from my home office oftentimes. Uh, and then, you know, go into uh, Army Reserve stuff in the evenings. But she made it a point to make me take a break for dinner and come to the kitchen table and sit and eat dinner with with the girls and spend some time with them. And then, you know, after that, I go back into my office and, and start what I would call the night shift. And, uh, you know, I... I didn't actually end up having a family until I was about 30 years old. So I, I think I was quite used to focusing on my career in my yeah. 20s. And uh, that's that's probably the one aspect of my life. And I feel very blessed in many ways. But if I could if I could get another crack at that one, I might do some things differently. I, I feel overwhelmingly fortunate to have a wonderful family. And admittedly, I, I owe it all to the patience of, of Penelope and the resiliency of my daughters, Rachel and Debra. Oh, amazing. And thank you so much for sharing candidly, because, you know, a lot of times and, and really the reason behind this Woman in Supply Chain series is to really talk about the different journeys, you know, journeys to success look different. They look different to you than they look different to me, you know, than they then they look different to some people in the audience as well. And, you know, I didn't have kids. Right. And, you know, that's just part of my journey and, and what I decided to do with my life. But I have amazing stepchildren. And so thank you very much for, for being candid and sharing that. So U.S. Transcom has an inclusion and diversity council that you oversee. Um, that is, you know, absolutely amazing. I love to hear that you have that kind of council. And 
from what I'm seeing in you today, um, you're definitely one of the best to lead that, you know, and I also have a show called Blended, which is all about diversity and inclusion. And it's so important. We need to keep pushing. We need to keep innovating. We need to keep having these conversations. So what's your role within the council and wh like, what are, what does it aim to do? Yeah. So uh, my boss, Jen Alliance, uh, gave me direction to uh, get, get this council up and running. And so I serve as a permanent advisor to the council to operate, to help it operate. The deputy commander here, Vice Admiral Mubel, is actually the chair. And then we have one of our civilian senior executive service members. Uh, she's our deputy director for acquisitions. As a matter of fact, Ms. Tammy Tuvino is the deputy. And then along uh, with Dr. Devada Davis, she serves as our executive secretary. They lead the council. So the council members uh, obviously are comprised of, of men and women out of, the, out of the directorates. The headquarters here is about 2,500, and we probably have a, a council somewhere around maybe 40, 45. But they're the outreach, right, to the directorates. And uh, uh, they, they range, they broke themselves up into teams, and they range from everything from an events team to a recruiting team, best practices, and, and many other team functions that they do. Uh, I provide assistance, as I said, to the chair and the deputy, uh, look at the funding to support activities, provide some coaching and other sorts of support to enable the success of the team. And I, along with all the other advisors and the team itself, uh, we enable this council to take action to raise awareness, to your point, about inclusion first and foremost. And we believe that coming at all we do through an angle of being inclusive will unlock the door to opportunity for everyone and not just small groups. We're trying to generate activities to bring people together to learn about themselves and each other so that we can you know, create an energy to drive culture at US Transportation Command to build the most capable teams, high performing teams, so that we can succeed in our all important mission to this department. For us, it all boils down to warfighting readiness, and and that's our belief is that uh, you know the the better our employees are, the happier they are, the better they perform, the better we deliver the mission. And your passion resonates. It resonates not only on, you know, the the military side, but also you know when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And I'm I'm really happy to hear that you have that kind of counsel and that you're having those types of conversations you know, within U.S. Transcom. So what has your experience been as a woman in the military? Do you think there are common misconceptions about the roles women serve or the experiences that they have? And I think this is a really important conversation because we talk about, or I talk to a lot of people about getting into logistics and supply chain and them, people not really even seeing that as a career path for themselves. And then, you know, we hear about the military and it's usually a lot of men that are joining and maybe, you know, I think it's a great place to, to talk about what opportunities there are for women in the U.S. Transcom, uh, especially in logistics and supply chain. So, so tell us a little bit about that. So, uh, you know, I graduated from West Point in 1990. I was the 10th class to graduate women. And I would tell you, I stand on the shoulders of giants, right? My experience when I was going through 10 years later was that if a guy was being a jerk, about everybody thought he was being a jerk. And, and so uh, I acknowledge, though, that others had maybe some other experiences, uh, for sure. Um, I do think consciously or unconsciously, 
there was there was a pressure to work hard to make sure I was pulling my weight and that I was not a weak link in any way. Uh, and for me, you know, going to West Point and beginning my career in the Army was was the very best thing for me. Uh, in my mind, that's where I learned skills that happen to be marketable into the commercial sector. To your point about you know, logistics, uh, really remarkable, especially as much as we interface with industry. Uh, we do our National Defense Transportation Association. You know, we are uh, interfacing with companies that are all over the world. They're global as well. It, it is a, it's a great, you know, career path. Truthfully, that I, I, as I told you my story in the beginning, I feel like I lucked into. Um, but in the military, you know, I learned at a very young age uh, and have led and managed throughout my career. And so I talked about that 72 soldier platoon that I commanded. Uh, that's how I started. My last command was 10,000, right? Wow. That was located in uh, seven different states in the southwestern, uh, sorry, southeastern United States. And so, you know, now <clears throat> here at the, as the chief of staff at U.S. Transportation Command, it's the equivalent of a C-suite leader right, for a global organization comprised of 122,000 people. Uh, when I left the military, you know, it was the experience that I had gained. Uh, it, that's how I leveraged that into my civilian career with IBM and, and doing the account executive role, the business consulting that I did through IBM started, you know, for the most part in supply chain. So um, there's a lot of opportunity in, in the military to do, you know, if you want to single thread in transportation, or if you want to, you know, look at data analytics, uh, if you want to get into procurement, uh, it, you know, it's the gambit, right? It is a great uh, opportunity for a young person to uh, not just, you know, have paid experience, you're getting paid to uh, learn, to lead, to manage. One of the things that I liked about what you were talking about was transferable skills. Right. So you um, before you went into the reserves, all of the skills and everything that you learned before going into your civilian life were skills that you could transfer into your civilian life and into your professional life within that civilian life. Um, and I think that that's important to note. Right. I think that, you know, we have to remember that our journeys are fluid and we can go, we can, we can take skills from one area to another very, very easily. And sometimes we forget that, especially as women, if we've been off work, right, to have children or anything like that. I mean, when we're at home with children, there's time management, there's all sorts of things that you're doing when you're off with your children that you can also transfer into your career when you decide to get back into the job. And so I'm glad that you brought that up. Now, I want to know, how did you find your voice? I mean, did you find it earlier? Did you find it early on? Um, because it, it happens very different for, for, for women, right? It's either, either a slow burn, sometimes it's a big event, how did you find your voice and, and what did that look like? You know, um, so I grew up in New Jersey and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert with a capital E. So <laughs> I, I'm not sure that I, I had to find my voice as much as maybe refine and learn to control my voice. Does that like make sense? That. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, but again, I, you know, I have to go back to, to how I started in, in the Army and uh, at a young age, but, but even before that, at, you know, at West Point, you're, 
you're dealing with your peers, really exceptional people, uh, commissioned as a second lieutenant. And, and again, at 22, I had 72 men and women, some of whom were very young and some of whom were older than me. And, you know, the good news is I had this uh, platoon sergeant, which is, the, which is our, our model that we use. You know, he was at the time probably about 35 years old. He probably had about 17 years of service. And uh, he, he was one of the guys who led me through uh, my growth as an officer to understand how to lead those soldiers. And, you know, a lot of it is about credibility and capability. And uh, very quickly, if you lose your credibility um, in the military, they may still follow you because that's our, you know, hierarchical rank structure but it really, it really works a lot better when, when they respect you, right? When they believe in you as a leader. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I think that uh, as I went through the rest of my career and even segueing into the commercial space, I'm, I'm very comfortable talking in, in front of crowds as long as, as long as I know what I'm talking about. Because, because again, you know, as a leader in the military, you're standing in front of your soldiers. You're giving them direction and uh, you've got to get them to buy in to what you need them to do, which sometimes isn't always pleasant, right? Let's yeah. be honest. And, and so again, I think, uh, I think my career, I refined my voice. I don't remember a specific event. I remember having to, to have that voice from the very beginning. And it was really, you know, just about uh, refining it. Now here at U.S. Transportation Command, what's sort of funny in my role as chief of staff and particularly in this COVID environment, you know, I have the ability to communicate with all of the 2,500 men and women on the staff, and we're in a pretty extensive telework posture right now, as you can imagine. And so one of the things that I do is I uh, reach out to them, even though they, they have their own, uh, you know, supervisory directorates and leaders. In my role, I, I reach out across all of that, right? I, I cut across those, you know, I call them sometimes silos of excellence in the directorates. Uh, and I amplify messages. I share information about what's happening with COVID, what's happening on site, uh, you know, here in the headquarters, because we've had to continue operations. We've, you know, we have a, a mission that doesn't stop. And so we've never been able to shut down completely and right. go to hundred percent telework. It just, we hadn't. So we had to implement, uh, you know, protection measures so we could keep the operation running continually. And we've done that very successfully. And so uh, you know, periodically I send out these emails to the workforce and I've sort of become the voice of Transcom uh, at the command in some way to make sure that they're staying informed, especially the folks that are, you know, they haven't been uh, in the building in months in, right. since this began, right? In some cases where we have some, some of our folks who are uh, high-risk employees. And additionally, we do actually we have it tomorrow. We do something called a Transcom show. So tomorrow we'll, uh, I'll have our surgeon, I'll have uh, the leader of our organization who, who manages the measures that we've put in place to keep the headquarters safe. And we're gonna get on a stage and we'll use our uh, virtual platforms to communicate with the workforce. Uh, they've been able to submit questions ahead of time. The focus of this particular one really is gonna be about the vaccine, right? Because what we want is for our folks to have the best information that they can have to make the best informed choice about whether to get the vaccine or not. Right. Uh, we can't make anybody get it, right? It's it's this uh, emergency use authorization. So, um, but again, we, we have a surgeon on staff and we are providing the very best information we can. So, you know, the, the point of it is uh, I, I, 
I, I think I have a voice and I'm not afraid to use it. I love that. I was hoping you were going to say something like that. You are going to inspire so many people, um, especially women in supply chain and everybody listening to this episode. So, you know, on your journey so far, what have you learned about yourself? What does the future hold for you? You know, I, I don't know what that looks like as far as U.S. Transcom, and I don't know if there's a ceiling for you there. Do you return to your civilian job? Do you remain in active duty? What are your options? What does the future hold for you? That's, that's a big question. So um, one of the things I would say uh, about myself is that I learned I like people, right? Uh, and I, I really believe that uh, a lot of the success that I've had in leadership and management boils down to uh, just liking people, being with them, talking to them, helping them, coaching them, mentoring them. Those sorts of things. So, so that's a big, uh, you know, personal, you know, discovery for me. And everything else is sort of segued from there. Um, I uh, will finish my tour here at Transcom in June. And I don't, honestly, I'm not, I'm not being cagey about this. I don't know what happens next. The, the process uh, is actually ongoing right now about what the opportunities might be for me to to have uh, my next assignment in uniform. And that could be another tour like this one where, where the, this is my full-time job and I remain on a leave of absence from IBM, or it could be a job that goes back to that reserve part-time uh, status, in which case I would go back to IBM. And uh, I've been able to stay in touch. IBM has been a fantastic employer. Uh, my, my direct business unit is the federal space. And so I have stayed in touch with, with those leaders. They uh, are very encouraging and supportive. And uh, at the point where I have a, a better sense of whether my next, my next tour is in uniform full-time uh, or part-time, I will engage with IBM to see what the next opportunity would be, right, at IBM. I was an account executive there enjoying what I was doing. But, you know, obviously that, that show had to go on in my absence. And uh, so it's actually... Uh, I was deployed in 2018. I've been on this tour for two years. And so by the time I go back to IBM, I actually feel like there's been a lot of evolution in the business and I yeah. will really have to kind of rebloom myself, so to speak, right. Mm -hmm. For all of the, uh, the strategies, the business strategies and the things that great things that they're doing. So it'll be, it'll be exciting to see not only for yourself, but the rest of us, what the rest of your journey kind of looks like. And we're, you're going to find out within the next couple of months, which, which I think is also, it's, it's exciting, but it can also be probably a little bit nerve wracking as well. So finally then, what advice do you have for girls and women who may be thinking about joining the military or even pursuing a career in logistics? So, so what I would say is the first piece of advice is to, to do research about what, it, what they think they might be interested in, right? So, uh, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, uh, all have, you know, different opportunities. And so uh, now they all have logistics, to your point, which is really, really great. So you won't go wrong if you go into any one of those services, services if you want to learn about supply chain, if you want to learn about transportation, distribution, acquisition, those kinds of functions, right? But but if there's something else that that kind of interests you, space, right? Do the research. And when you walk in the door to the recruiters, have an idea of 
which service you're most interested in. And, and you, might, you might find out that, uh, you know, for some reason that, that isn't necessarily an opportunity for you. There's, there's some sort of criteria maybe you don't meet. Uh, you'd be able to pivot to your point, right, into one of the other services to do something and enlist. Um, as I said, as an officer in the Army, I found myself leading and managing operations at all levels the entire time as my career progressed. And I'm coming up on 31 years in May. So it's been a, it's been a good long career. And that's you know very different than in the civilian sector. I think um, you know, you're expected to be in charge as an officer, you're expected to be in charge if you enlist and you become ultimately a non-commissioned officer to lead men and women. I think uh, it, you know, those opportunities certainly exist in the civilian world, but they're not necessarily expectations, right? They're not necessarily um, something that you're going to get promoted into because that's what happens in the military. If I wanted to focus on a certain discipline, like I said, acquisition or transportation distribution or something like that, there, was, there would have been a, an opportunity to do all of those things. Um, otherwise, you know, I was able to get an incredibly broad experience in all aspects of the supply chain, right? Data analytics, uh, business systems, development, all sorts of things, not just, you know, kicking boxes and, and hanging parts on trucks and those sorts of things. And all of that, as I mentioned, was transferable to a very satisfying civilian career. The, the other piece of advice uh, is to recognize that within the military, you know, just very realistically, the job is to fight and win the nation's wars, right? So that's, uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a glamor show. And uh, there are some very real aspects to that. And so I think, you know, young men, young men and women, young women have to really just recognize that and, and with eyes wide open and embrace that when they join, be clear about the mission, right? It can take you all over the world, working in other, with other nations, militaries, working in other countries, um, but, but again, at the end of the day, fighting in conflict and war is, is really what we do. So the third piece of advice is, uh, if you aren't already get in shape, that's what I would say. Fitness, uh, I believe is a way of life. Uh, there's no downside for your personal health, but in the military, it's a condition of your employment, right? For the most part. And you just, that's a, just another piece of reality that you have to, uh, have to embrace, and so you don't want to struggle with it. You, you just, you hit it head on, you know, give yourself time, be patient. If you're, uh, you know, a young gal and, and you don't necessarily like to run, that's okay. Uh, you know, we've got treadmills, we've got things, right? Just give yourself time and be patient to get in shape. But, but, but don't struggle with that because it's, it just, it gets in the way. It gets in the way of all the other great opportunities to learn and grow and achieve. And then finally, once you join, take the opportunity, take advantage of all the training that's available to you. The, the military will help you go to school, work on a degree, work on a, a certification, uh, you know, work on, on a skill. They'll teach you things. And, you know, at the same time, they're paying you a salary, they're giving you health care, you'll have a retirement. You know, that's an important thing that the Army or the military in general evolved to over time, right? It used to be this model, retirement model, that you had to serve for 20 years. And if you left at any point prior to that 20, you, you didn't have a retirement. But a number of years ago, uh, the military writ large went to what's called a blended retirement system. So it's very much more like a 401k. They use a, a thrift savings plan. There's a matching when you put in. 
And so if you decide you're going to do one enlistment, you know, four, six year enlistment and you leave, that's okay. Because again, you, you know, ideally you will have gotten training, you will have gotten education, maybe you will put some money away and you'll walk away with something in, in by way of a retirement, right. To, yeah. to start, to start with when you transition into the civilian sector. So, yeah, I, again, I think that, uh, if, if a, a young lady is on the fence about what to do, um, come on in. You don't have to stay forever, and you'll learn a lot along the way, right? Yeah, so much amazing advice. Listen, I am really inspired by this conversation and by your success, your stories being candid with us today. You know, and this is yet more proof, as if we needed it, that women can be exactly who and what they choose to be. So thank you very much. You know, you are amazing, Deborah. I appreciate your team for bringing you to us to be featured in the Woman in Supply Chain. Thanks so much for your, to your team. And thanks so much to you and everybody involved for all of your service and everything that you do on a day-to-day -day basis to give back. Thanks so much, Sarah. It's a lot of fun. I really appreciate the opportunity. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you'd like to hear more from us at Let's Talk Supply Chain, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. Plus, we have a category filter. So if you're looking for a solution or an episode on something that you have, you're having a challenge with in your supply chain, go to the category filter and you can filter the episodes to um, the episodes that you want to listen to. And don't forget to come back next week where I'll be talking to Michael from E2 Open all about the amazing things that are happening over at their organization. They have done some incredible things in 2020. And so we're going to get some updates and talk to them a little bit more about what we can expect from them in 2021. If you enjoy our podcast, there are a few ways to support the show. You can follow us, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now even TikTok. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Let's Talk Supply Chain, and you can subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. If you haven't yet, go and visit ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com and sign up because we're in full beta. And if you're a forwarder or shipper that wants to streamline the pricing of your error and ocean freight shipments, gain access to more choice worldwide and utilize the best of data to reduce shipping risks, then you won't want to miss out on our platform. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop over at letstalksupplychain.com. And remember, if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and we will feature your review on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.